understand the two most attacked books in the Bible are Genesis and Daniel. Because in both of those books, you not only have the miraculous, you have some of the most precise prophecies found in the Word of God. And people don't like that. They don't want to know where we came from, and they don't want to know where we are going because they want to suppress the truth of God and deny His right to rule. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, and today we come to that section of Scripture that affirms the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The nation Israel seems to always have a spot in international news. And although over the centuries this little country has been taken captive and has come out of captivity numerous times, ultimately the Bible tells us Israel will be triumphant and will be the centerpiece of civilization. The reason for this is because this is God's favored nation. Let's join Dr. Brogy now as we continue our look at the third of four major visions Daniel experiences in chapters 7 through 12. Would you take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to Daniel chapter 9. We've been working our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse through this great prophecy. And when we come to the ninth chapter, in many ways, we come to the high point in the book of Daniel. There are many mountain peaks of prophecy in Daniel, but if there's a Mount Everest, I suppose it is Daniel, the ninth chapter. It is God's outline, God's blueprint for the future concerning the Holy Land and the Jewish people. And it really very clearly pictures how God will culminate human history through the nation of Israel. It's one great passage, and I suppose if I were just preaching the highlights of Daniel, I would skip it, because it is one of the most difficult passages in all of the Bible to teach. But it's an important passage, not only as it relates to us, but as as it relates to the people of Israel. You know, evil people have always tried to destroy and annihilate the Jewish people. But you can't get rid of the Jewish people. God promises that they will survive, that Israel will make it, because God has a plan for Israel. I mean, have you ever thought that through the ages how people have tried to destroy them, but they cannot? Why? Because they are the people that God used to bring the Christ through from heaven to earth the first time, and they are the people that God will use to bring the Messiah back a second time. Now, prophecy really is history pre-written. And within this book, you will find some of the most specific prophecies found in all of the Word of God, and that's why so many of the liberals hate it. But let me bring you into the immediate context of where we are today. If you were with us in our last study of Daniel, you will remember that Daniel the prophet has been agonizing and fasting in prayer. He's seeking God's forgiveness, not just for his sin, but for the whole nation. And he's seeking to discover God's will for Israel as it relates especially to the captivity where they have been there in Babylon. And so we find him praying in the first 19 verses. And if you remember, his prayer was prompted by his reading of the prophet Jeremiah. God foretold by a contemporary of his, Jeremiah the prophet, in the 25th and the 29th chapters, that this time of captivity would last for 70 years. 
In fact, notice we are introduced to the fact that he's reading Jeremiah in the first two verses. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. Now, if you remember, King Darius was the king in Daniel 5 that we studied, and he was alive on the very last day of the Babylonian empire. He was having a big drunken party that night, and of course, Darius the Mede came in and overthrew the Babylonian empire, just as God had predicted. And of course, they are using the holy instruments that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Jerusalem temple, and they're mocking the God of Israel. And so God used, used the Medes to come and to mock them, to allow justice to be satisfied. So we read here in verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So remember, the prophecies in chapters 7 through 12 can be laid over chapters 1 through 6. And I showed you that before, and I'll show it to you again, that 7 through 12 do not follow chronologically right after 1 through 6, but they fit in and around chapters 1 through 6. And so Daniel has, this is near the time when Daniel has had his experience in the lion's den, He's an old man, around 85, maybe 90 years of age. It's the first year of Darius' reign, which tells you that 67 of the 70 years that God wrote about by the prophet Jeremiah for the time of the captivity had elapsed. So Daniel is living on the threshold of the fulfillment of a prophecy. And so beginning in verse 20 until the end of the chapter, God brings an answer to Daniel's prayer. Starting in verse 20, he has an encounter with an angel familiar to most of you named Gabriel. And we are given in verses 20 and 21 the introduction to the prophecy. Notice, now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, The holy mountain, of course, is Mount Moriah, where the temple was once located. It's destroyed at this point. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it 60-some years before. While I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Don't miss that. Gabriel, by some method, touched his body, his heart, his mind, his soul, He basically tapped him on the shoulder and said, Daniel, you know, did you call? And notice too, he comes, the Bible says here, while he was still speaking. Now remember, angels are not omnipresent. They have to fly from one location to another to get on location. And so God begins to answer Daniel's prayer ever before he's finished the prayer. And it's a reminder to me that if your prayer, my prayer is in the will of God, God is not reluctant to answer prayer. I love Isaiah 65, 24. I have it written out here in the margin of my Bible. The prophet said, it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. 
So God sees Daniel's heart. He begins to answer it by sending this angel ever before he finishes. And notice, too, another very important notation in this verse. This prayer was offered during the time of the evening offering. Now, that's not accidental. There are no accidents in the Bible. Every word is inspired by God. And when you come to prophecy, especially you need to study every word. It's not like a parable. A lot of people write prophecy off like parable. Oh, there's just one big main lesson. Why? Because they don't want to deal with the nuts and bolts and the issues that are involved many times because it contradicts their own theological system. But it's during the time of the evening offering. When was that? It was 3 p.m. in the afternoon. At 3 p.m. every afternoon, there was an offering that was made. And it was a reminder, the Old Testament offerings, when they would shed an animal's blood, that a man could only approach God through blood. But an animal's blood could save no one. Those were just pictures and foreshadowings of the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And it was during the time of the evening offering, the New Testament tells us, at 3 p.m. in the afternoon precisely that the Lord Jesus died there on Golgotha. God reminds us that apart from the shedding of blood, you have no access to God. You must come his way by the blood of the Messiah. Verse 22, he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Like King David, Daniel was a man after God's own heart. Like the apostle John, who was a beloved disciple, and like Jacob's son Joseph, of whom a single sin is not written of, only good is written of Daniel. Now, he was a sinner. He just confessed his own sin, but God never records any of his sin because he is a man of God. His name, Daniel, Hebrew reads from right to left. Whenever you see the word El in usually the English text in the Old Testament, it's the word for God. And Daniel's name means God is my judge. And he lived out that name. He could care less what people thought of him. God was his judge, and he lived for God. And God says here in verse 23, you are highly esteemed. The English standard says you are greatly loved. The Net Bible says you are of great value. The Holman Christian edition says, for you are treasured by God. Question, does God have favorites? No, I don't believe God has favorites, yet God says Daniel is highly esteemed, greatly beloved. What does that mean? Does it mean that God loves some more than others? No, he loves us all equally. But while God does not have favorites, he does have intimates. And if you've been born again, you can become one of God's intimates through your obedience. It's through obedience, John 14, 21 says, that God reveals or discloses himself to you. Proverbs 3 says that God is intimate with the upright. His, the upright, the Proverbs says, are in his confidence. And Daniel is such a man. Verse 23, I've come to tell you for you are highly esteemed to give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. He's not received the vision yet, but God is about to tell him directly through the angel Gabriel. 
Now, Daniel wants information as you read his prayer concerning the Babylonian captivity. He's praying about God's holy mountain where the temple once stood. But God is going to give him so much more than he asked for. Gabriel is going to tell him the very year the Messiah is going to come. He's going to tell him about a future prince we call Antichrist. And he's going to take this prophecy all the way until the second return of the Messiah. And so now in verses 24 to 27, this vision is a prophecy of things to come. And most consider this the backbone of all prophecy in the Bible. Most of the time, when people are off on the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel, they are confused on other issues. And this is why it's important we do our homework. Now, let me give you an overview of the prophecy, as you can see in this chart. Um, Daniel 9.24 covers the entire 70 weeks, which we will see stands for 490 years. When we come to verse 25, which we'll look at today as well, he deals with the first 69 of the first 483 of those 490 years. When we come next time to Daniel 9.26, we're going to see that there is a gap of time between the 69th and the 70th week. We are in that gap. We are living in it. And so we don't know how long it will be. It's been approximately 2,000 years already. But I believe that gap is coming to an end. It will conclude with the rapture of the church. And then when we come to the 70th week, the following week in Daniel 9.27, it will deal with the final week or the final seven years, what Daniel will call in the 12th chapter, what Jesus will call in Matthew 24, the coming great tribulation. So before we are finished, you're going to see that among other truths, the 70 weeks prophecy pinpoints the exact timing of the first coming of the Christ. And once again... These verses give us absolute proof for the divine inspiration of Scripture. If you've read the booklet that I wrote for Answers in Genesis, How to Prove the Bible is True, I went through five proofs for the divine inspiration of Scripture. And one of the most powerful reasons that God gives within His Word is fulfilled prophecy. Only God can, in specific ways, predict the future. And so 500 years in advance, he predicts the exact date that the Messiah will come and present himself as the Prince of Israel. Now, that's by way of introduction, so let's get into the nuts and bolts of the prophecy. Again, it will take us three weeks to cover the next four verses. So bear with me. Again, this is not milk, this is meat. You're going to probably have to go back and hear the tape a few times if you really want to understand this portion of Scripture. So first, we begin with the period that is spoken of, the period that is spoken of. Look now at verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So to begin with, and it's very important, we discover that the angel Gabriel said that this would all happen in 70 weeks. So what is meant by 70 weeks? If you have the New American Standard Bible, and this is why it's important that you bring a paper edition, because the computer Bibles don't give the footnotes, you will see right before the word weeks a little number one. Do you see that? It will be helpful to you. And if you go out into the margin of the text, 
it tells you the literal rendering of the Hebrew word. The word weeks is the Greek word shavua, which means seven. In fact, whenever you see the word weeks in this chapter, you can substitute the word seven. Seventy sevens or 70 units of seven have been decreed for your people. Now, this word, shavua, is a lot like our word dozen. If I said 70 dozen have been given to you, you would naturally ask 70 dozen what? And so when he said 70 sevens or 70 weeks have been decreed, you're going to ask naturally 70 sevens of what? Now, in most English Bibles, it does not say 77s, but 70 weeks. But that can be a little confusing because to most English readers, our week is just a week of seven days. We think of a week that's seven days long. But a Jewish person not only had a weeks of years, but a weeks of days. There was a weeks of days. Their week was seven days long as established by God. And the seventh day was a set-apart day, the Sabbath day, Saturday, on which they are to worship. Under the new covenant, we set apart the first day of the week. During the millennial reign, we'll go back to the seventh week, the seventh day. But right now, we worship on the first day of the week. And I'm glad you are here. I'm glad you are in obedience to the Word of God, that you didn't blow today off where you said, I'm going to go to the beach or fishing or start my vacation. To do so is to disobey one of the Ten Commandments. So they had six days in which to work and a seventh day in which to rest. But not only did they have a week of days, they had a week of years. And so they had a Sabbath day and they had a Sabbath year. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 3 and 4, God specifically said, in six years you will farm the land, but on the seventh year you will give the land rest. And they understood this to be the Sabbath year every seven years. So they have this weeks of years. So what I want you to see this morning, and this is not... Uh, peripheral to the sermon, it's central to it, because those who attack the Bible do so on the basis of the meaning of the word shavua. Is this a weeks of days or a weeks of years? Well, I want to show you this morning that this is a week of years. Understand the two most attacked books in the Bible are Genesis and Daniel. Because in both of those books, you not only have the miraculous, you have some of the most precise prophecies found in the Word of God. And people don't like that. They don't want to know where we came from, and they don't want to know where we are going because they want to suppress the truth of God and deny His right to rule. Many young people who are here, you may go off to the university, and if you were like me, when I had some electives, I took some of my elective courses in the religion department just because I saw it as an opportunity potentially to study the Bible. And if you go to your average university campus, most of the guys with PhDs in hand are liberals on those secular campuses, and they will attack the Bible and try to undermine your faith. And they'll say, well, the Daniel 70 weeks prophecy is dealing not with 490 years, but 490 days. These events described in here obviously didn't happen in 490 days. Therefore, Daniel can be discredited as the rest of the Bible. Now, as a new Christian, 
when I heard some of these professors attack the Bible, I didn't really know how to respond to them. I just knew because I believed in Jesus. Jesus said there were no errors in the Bible, and if that's what he taught, that's what I believed. But I was determined to be able to make a defense for the hope that was in me. And one of the things I wanted to do in my four-year THM program at Dallas Seminary was to study the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel. And what we're looking at today, again, is not the milk of the word, but the meat of the word. So I want to give you three contextual arguments to show that what he is referring to is not a week of days, but a week of years, therefore 490 years. Reason number one is an argument from chapter 9. Now, as this next slide illustrates, if you remember from our study of Daniel last time, he's an old man and he's praying this prayer in response to his study of Jeremiah the prophet. This whole ninth chapter is dealing with units of 70 years. And we learn that God chose 70 years for his people to be captive in Babylon because over 490 years, they had ignored 70 years where they were to give the land rest. And prophet after prophet said, obey the word of God, you are in rebellion, live in faith, and they refused to do that. And so they had to trust God in the seventh year when they could not grow their crops, that in the sixth year, he would give them enough food that would carry them through the next year. But because they had disobeyed God's command for 490 years, God set the exile at 70 years. He said, if you won't give me what I want, then I will take it from you. And so he decrees them to be in exile for 70 years. So in the context of chapter 9, he's not dealing with days but years. We learned in our last study in verse 2 from Daniel 25 through 29 that it was 70 years that is set for the exile. And so it's not surprising now as they near the end of those 70 years that God would send the angel Gabriel, and because the people still hadn't really repented, God is going to deal with another 490 years in the future. So he's looking back at 490 years, which led to a 70-year exile, and he's looking now 490 years into the future. Not 490 days, but 490 years. So you can argue from the context of Daniel chapter 9 that just the events that he describes here in verse 24 could not have happened in 490 days. I mean, look at them. They're listed here in Daniel 9.24. There are six Hebrew infinitives. They're easy to spot in our English Bible with the little word to. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy place. Now, if you read that and you thought simply, well, how could that happen in 490 days? It would be impossible. Then you'd be thinking correctly. And so, again, the context of the ninth chapter is dealing with here. Secondly, reason number two is an argument from chapter 10, from chapter 10. Follow along with me in chapter 10, the verses 2 and 3. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. You see the word entire? It's the Hebrew word yom. Most of you know that Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word for day. For you could literally translate three sevens of days. For three sevens of days, I did not eat any tasty food, 
nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment until the three sevens of days or the three weeks of days were completed. Now, this is the only other place that this word Shavuah seven appears in the book of Daniel. We translate it week. And here it is qualified by the Hebrew word yom, day. Now, don't miss that. It seems clear here in 924 that the pro- if, if the prophet Daniel had wanted to refer to weeks of days, that he would qualify it with the word yom. But he doesn't. And again, the context makes it unnecessary because he's dealing with weeks of years. And it seems unnecessary that he would qualify here in chapter 10 the word seven or weeks with the word day because no one can obviously fast for three weeks of years or 21 years. But because the Holy Spirit wants to set apart ever so clearly so that no one can miss it, the difference of what's going on in chapters 9 and 10, he underscores that truth. Reason number three would be the rest of Scripture. As you study the rest of Scripture, you realize plainly that God has a week of years. There are many examples we could look at. Let me give you just one. Genesis chapter 29. If you remember, Jacob wanted to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel. And he told his future father-in-law in in Genesis 29, 18, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And of course, you know what happened. He tricked Jacob. And um, we read in verse 25 of Genesis 29, so it came about in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why have you deceived me? But Laban said, it is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, literally complete the Shavuah, complete the seven, and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve me for another seven years. Don't miss that. Very clearly in this verse, Laban is equating the word Shavua, the word we're looking at here in Daniel 9, the word seven. He is equating the term seven years with a week of years. Jacob was being asked to serve another seven, another week, another seven years. Now, back here in Daniel 9, very clearly, based on the context of chapter 9, the argument from chapter 10, and the way the term is used in the rest of Scripture, God is not speaking of 490 days, but 490 years. Are you with me? Follow that? All right, good. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy will look at that messianic prophecy as he continues his study of this vision, which talks about 70 weeks, or as we've studied, is actually weeks of years or 490 years. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and request program DAN13. This message is actually the first of two, so you may want to pick up message DAN14 as well. Our phone number again is 877-787-7478. 
Join us again tomorrow as we continue our look at the 70 weeks of prophecy of Daniel as we search the scriptures.